Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by my co-host, Connor Hope. Connor, another week of basketball. Not a whole lot has changed. Uh, Florida still stinks. And I think that's probably the main storyline uh, of week two of the season is that Florida just can't get it together. Yeah, I, I think that uh, when it came to the SEC, um, there's been a lot of surprises in the SEC, actually. Uh, Florida just ha- has no offense to speak of. Oh, my God. And it seems like Auburn is picking up right where they left off offensively. So, um I mean, Tennessee looks good. Outside of that loss to Evansville for Kentucky, I, I think the the SEC, for the most part, looks like it did last year. <laughs> I'll go the opposite way. I, I have some major concerns about the SEC, Florida in particular. I think Florida's problems are fixable. And I wrote an article for BustingBrackets.com kind of deep diving into what exactly Florida's problems are and how they can fix them. Uh, The lack of cohesion, obviously, is part of it, right? They have six newcomers in their nine-man rotation. It's going to take them some time to come together, just like every other team in the country, pretty much. But their big problem is just their half-court offense is atrocious. And it's not like a lack of talent. It's the sets are awful. They get in the half-court, and they run an initial action with two or three guys involved, and everybody else stands in the perimeter. And after that initial action, it just becomes a free-for-all. And as a result, they don't get good shots out of it because they're just standing there. And they shoot poorly because they're shooting only heavily contested shots. And they have good athletes. So you would think getting out in transition would be an easy way for them to get some baskets, which they need to do a lot more of. But they're like the seventh slowest team in the country from a pace perspective. And that's a, a Mike White staple. Uh, Since he's been at Florida, his teams have gotten slower every year. Until the last couple of years, they've been among the slowest in the country. They're not using, I think, one of their biggest assets um, in that athleticism. And then having Andrew Nimhard as point guard, uh, wanting him to make plays in transition in space, I would think would be a strength and something you would want to utilize. But Mike White just doesn't seem to want to do that. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, you can go one of two ways, right? I, I thought that they were going to speed it up. But even if they go slow, you know, I thought that they would maybe utilize some some sort of an, an inside out or, or something like that. But it seems like every player thinks that he's going to be the game changer on that team. And it's just it's just not working. I, I agree with that. Uh, but I thought the same thing a couple years ago when it was Jalen Hudson and Kevon Allen. Because they would do that. And I thought it was a them problem. And I think it's becoming clear that it's very much a Mike White problem. And I, I think the guys are doing that because there's nothing going on around them. It becomes you get the ball, you go one-on-one. And that's not an effective way to run an offense, as we're seeing. Uh, the only good thing uh, I have seen from Florida this year is the Andrew Nemhard, Kerry Blackshear pick and rolls that they'll run are awesome. They just don't run them enough. Well, yeah. I mean, when you're when you're talking about your the two best players on your team playing off each other and running that to perfection, I mean, I, I don't know. I I think you're seeing the same issue uh, at Wisconsin that you're seeing at Florida, which is 
it might just be a, a case where we're giving too much credit to a coach that came in, you know, after an all timer and uh, they're just there's something wrong there in whether it's the culture, whether it's just his game planning, something's wrong because this, this is a team that should be getting out and playing closer to a pace like Auburn where they can kind of just, especially with, with teams that aren't sec caliber athleticism, they should be running these teams out of the gym. And I think that's fair. I I think the difference between uh, Greg Garner, Wisconsin and uh, Mike white is that Mike white has recruited and has high level talent. Greg Gard's problem isn't an X and O standpoint. It's the fact that um, he can't get people there, right? Like they, Wisconsin's fine, but there's not a lot of depth on that team outside of the guys that Bill Ryan had a hand in recruiting. And Mike White has brought in high-level guys, and they underperform once they get there. And, and that's strictly on coaching. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of, of like a little bit of a USC where – and yep. and and this is kind of surprising too from a USC perspective. Andy Edfield came in as a as a coach that liked to turn defense into transition bucket opportunities, and recruits at one of the highest levels in the country, and they too get stuck in the half court, and can't really run offensive sets well. So yeah. it's 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 I I think Mike White I think too. His national profile got raised with Florida's Elite Eight run, which I think was in his second year uh, in 2017 when they lost to South Carolina in the Elite Eight. That, I think, elevated his profile and changed the narrative around, like, oh, Florida has another good Atlanta Elite Donovan, right? And, you know, they underachieved after that the past couple of years, but had still won the tournament game each of those two years. So you're, there wasn't necessarily a cause for concern but I, I think this start in particular has really shined a light on how poor of an excess nose coach he has been so far. Uh, I'm not saying he can't change his ways moving forward, but has been so far on the offensive end. It, it's been putrid. And I think it's opened up the SEC because Kentucky's got struggles as well. We talked last week after the loss to Evansville about the lack of perimeter shooting, poor defensive rotations, things of that nature. The same things popped up against Utah Valley in a, a narrow win for them. I know they weren't at full strength, but both of these teams that we thought were going to kind of run away with the SEC in a two-man race in Florida and Kentucky are having very obvious problems that, I know it's only been two weeks, uh, but haven't shown any signs of improving. No, and I see, see I'm, I'm more willing, I guess, to forgive Kentucky um, from the pure standpoint that it's a bunch of freshmen that mm-hmm. are playing at a at a level above, a size above, a, a, an athletic step above where they were playing in the AAU in high school. Um, but but I mean they don't they really can't afford to to take their time turning it around because they've got you know three teams that two to three teams that look good right on their heels. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that uh, those teams are going to catch them when it comes to the SEC race during, during January and February, but t- Tennessee looked good against Washington and, and Auburn's offense, as I mentioned before, hasn't really slowed down all that much. I mean, they struggled against South Alabama, but outside of that, they're averaging what 80 something points a game. So 
Yeah, and I still have some concerns about Auburn because I think that South Alabama game exposed some of those concerns with them uh, running half-court offense, poor shooting, caught up with them a little bit. Where they've had a lot of success has been against Davidson and, and that blow against Colgate. Teams they had a very clear athletic advantage over. They were able to just kind of run up and down the court and utilize that athletic advantage to their advantage. And in the SEC, you're not going to get that. And so I'm not as high on them long-term as, as some people are, but they've been better, I think, than I was expecting them to be. And the same thing for Tennessee. I wasn't expect, expecting Tennessee to, to be ranked, let alone looking like perhaps the best team in the SEC. Um, and that went over Washington. They looked, they looked really, really solid. Yeah, and and I have my fair share of concerns about about UW. Um, I kind of dropped them down a tier uh, early on this season, kind of in that USC area, um, mm-hmm. just a step behind uh, Arizona and, and and Oregon and probably Colorado as well. But um, I mean, it was it was still it was a solid win against a team with a, a lot of talent up front. Um, but it's also a team that can't score in right. general. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's where kind of I, – I wasn't necessarily saying the SEC in terms of caliber of talent is the same. I was just saying in terms of the teams that are kind of racing yeah, towards it, the top, it's, it's, it's them. It's Tennessee Auburn. Yeah. And LSU has their own questions. They can't hold on to the ball. I know VCU kind of – will skew some of your turnover stats, but they're turning it over 24 times a game or something ridiculous like that. Yeah. Not having Tremont Waters a point guard hurts them. But uh, you can look at all those teams and see flaws. Uh, you can go down the list, obviously. Uh, I thought South Carolina was going to be in for a breakout year, uh, and I still kind of do. But they suffered their annual head-scratching, how the hell do you lose that game loss uh, to Boston University. On, on on Tuesday night and just a, a game that I have no business losing, but go ahead and do it anyway. Um, I, I, I don't think the SEC is going to be all that good this year. Alabama is another team that people had high hopes for that has really struggled to this point in the year. Again, we're going to say this a lot the next couple weeks, but it's only two weeks into the season. Teams are going to progress. Uh, and I don't know kind of what you see from these teams, but I don't necessarily think the SEC – is going to end up having a team that really um, finishes with like a top four seed or, or has a team that near the top of the polls. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only team I could see doing that is if, is it right now is uh, if Kentucky gets it together in, in December, mm-hmm. um, but December's only a week and a half away. So could Kentucky make it to the top of the polls? Yes. Um, I think I think Florida's kind of going to be one of those teams that finds itself in the in the six to nine range now if they if they can even get that high. Um, but oh but uh, out you know for as bad as the SEC's looked, I've I've been impressed this past week with the Big Ten. One hundred percent. And I know we were both kind of down on the Big Ten. Um, past the top you know three teams and, and it still is it's still maryland ohio state and michigan state uh and you can throw michigan now 
towards the top because Michigan's defense looks absolutely phenomenal. Legit. Legit. But Ohio State looks like it might be the best team in that conference right now. I put Ohio State at five in my top 25 this week. I, what they did to Villanova was incredibly impressive uh, from a balanced standpoint, from a sheer domination on both ends of the court. It got contributions from everybody outside, everybody inside. Everybody locked down Villanova on the defensive end and held their roles, played the role to perfection. Uh, they looked like a well-oiled machine uh, at a time where there are no real well-oiled machines in the country. And to do that while bringing in some young guys, I think is a real testament to uh, Chris Holtman as a coach and the job he's done this offseason. Uh, and then the thing about the Villanova game, too, is it wasn't a one-time thing. They've been playing like this against everybody. The Cincinnati game was a, was a little clunky, as you'd expect in an opener rivalry game, uh, the way Cincinnati plays defense. But uh, they they look phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that's... The, the the race I think between them, uh, Michigan State now now that they've found legit scores behind Cassius Winston, and mm-hmm. uh, and Maryland uh, and I, I kind of put a caveat on Maryland. Um, I do I do think the win over URI was was pretty good, but they just they haven't necessarily played anyone that I would say is good enough to really judge them as a top ten right. team. Uh, but the race between those three and, and and the wrench that that Michigan can throw into the mix um, is going to make the race at the top of the Big Ten really fun to watch. Yeah, I, I look at the Big Ten like this. I I was there's no secret that I wasn't high on Michigan State coming into the year because I didn't know who the number two guy would be with Joshua Langford being hurt, and I had concerns about their size. Uh, I think they've done enough with the size to be at least passable in the front court uh, when it comes to defending the post and on the glass. Um, And they've found enough from other people to come up with a second option. Uh, Malik Hall scoring 17 points in the second half against Seton Hall, I think was huge, uh, both for them as a team because you, you know you now have this freshman who can pr- play at that kind of level. Uh, it was huge for Hall himself to build that confidence and know he can play that kind of role. But I, I think the conversation on Michigan State could be completely changed if they would have lost the game to Seton Hall. So yeah. you're looking at a team that's 2-2 two and two with two wins over cupcakes and two losses to good teams. But, um, you know, like, you, where would that put Michigan State? Right, if you lose to a Kentucky team that lost to Evansville and then lost to Seton Hall on the road. Yeah, no, I definitely think that what the the first couple of weeks have shown us is that the race is much tighter. Yeah, um, and that, that's why I would keep Michigan State at the top is because I think individual players, because it's so close with these teams, great individual players are going to make a much bigger impact than normal. And I think Winston's one of those guys who you're going to have a very high baseline for how your team's going to play. And that consistency is not something that's going to be found in a lot of places this year. Uh, So I still like Michigan State as being one of the country's top teams simply because of that stability and consistency factor. Yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of – they have everything you want in a contender. Um, outside of a, tr- I guess a true big, um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, I mean, they could easily be in the same spot that Purdue's in right now, where the two legitimate teams that they've played, they they didn't look good, or, or they looked good, but they you know, against Texas, but Texas was just better. Um, and then they then they kind of ran over two cupcakes in in, in Chicago State and Green Bay. I've kind of harped on this with Purdue. They miss Carson Edwards. They're, they're, they played really well for about 30 minutes, and then they got no close game against Texas, got no close game against Marquette, and went to an absolute shell offensively down the stretch. Uh, we talked to the Texas game last week. They went the last four minutes of the game without scoring until there was 11 seconds left when the game was over and Texas was just trying not to foul. And then against Marquette, they go the last six minutes of the game without getting a bucket. They, they don't have that go-to scorer who can step up and kind of create for himself when things break down and they need a basket. They don't have that guy. And Matt Painter has acknowledged that that guy's kind of not on this team, which I think raises some red flags for how good Purdue can actually be this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's tough. First of all, I think Nogel Eastern has to, has to step up in a big way. Um, because his, also, his offensive game has just plateaued to me. Like yeah. we, we've expected to see progression in the last few years, and I have I haven't seen it. Yeah, and, and I was expecting it to to be a bigger part because he's a solid defensive player, and if you can add an offensive game to that, he'd be he'd be you know if not if not all uh, you know like second or third team in the in the Big Ten, legit you know kind of fringe fringe star but he just Matisse Bible yeah so yeah I don't know and some of these teams Indiana Illinois Penn State we really haven't seen enough of them to to say whether or not they are as good as they've looked I mean Illinois did not look good against Arizona so they looked good for like 15 minutes (laughs) and then it was just a train wreck from that point on yep so the Big Ten's, the Big Ten's kind of stepped up. I think the Big Ten has put itself in the conversation for the best conference. Um, I know last week we were talking about, at least at the top. I know last week we were talking about the Big East, the Pac-12. I still think the Pac-12 has a has a legitimate claim to the top conference. I think the Pac-12's middle and bottom is probably better than the Big Ten, um, and they're and the top of the Pac-12 is probably almost as close. Yeah, it just depends how much you value a team like Oregon and that went over Memphis. I put Oregon at number four in my rankings because I think they're that they have everything that I'm looking for at least in a in a contender, and they have that star senior point guard in Peyton Pritchard. They have athleticism. They're really good defensively. They don't even have Nafali Dante yet, a five star freshman center who's going to just add even more depth and size and run protection up front for them. I think they're a legitimate title contender. I think you look at Arizona and how good Mannion and Green have been. I think you look at them as, as I think, now somewhat of a Final Four contender. Washington, I know you talked about um, not being as high on them uh, and their offense, but they have a really good win over Baylor. We've shown kind of what they can do. Colorado, we've talked about on, on this podcast before, their, their experience and just returning depth. And then, you know, I, I think you look at those top four teams and 
I think there might be a slight step behind the Big Ten's top four teams, but not much. I, I think you look at it as, as a, a race between those two teams, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Um, uh, I don't think you can put the Big East up there, uh, at least for me. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, I think the Big East this past week has kind of taken a step back. They they had some big matchups, and um, the the they, they looked good decent early in the Gavit games and and then kind of fell off towards the the bigger marquee matchups um but yeah i mean from watching the pac-12 this season and and it's probably the conference that outside of the wcc i watched the most there are some teams in the middle of the pac-12 that i didn't think really had a shot at the tournament that i'm now convinced could make a statement and mind you they've lost three games outside of their conference and yeah. one of the one of those games was to tennessee um mm-hmm. one of those games was a loss by washington state which i think has it's become clear is looking like the worst team in the conference um mm-hmm. i think cal is definitely uh, the, the coaching change was good and, and they're looking, they're not looking great, but they're looking okay. Um, viable, which is a step up for them. Yes. And then, and then Oregon state losing to Oklahoma, which isn't, which isn't a great loss by any means, but, uh, you know, they, they beat Iowa state, uh, in the game before that and, and they're looking good. So outside of that, they haven't, they've struggled, but they haven't lost, um, right which I think is a big step for them. And, and they're undefeated at home. So. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the PAC 12 has been a punchline the last two years, but I, I, there's a very legitimate case to be made that by the end of the year with the amount of star freshmen that are in that conference, uh, that they could be far and away the best conference in the country, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I mean, if they if they hit their ceiling, right? If they hit their ceiling, mm-hmm. I think that Colorado is probably the fourth best team in that conf- fifth best team maybe in that conference, if every team hits their ceiling. And, and that's putting a lot right. of pressure on USC. That's putting a lot of pressure on Washington. Um, putting too think... much, that's putting too much pressure on USC. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know we've seen uh, enough from, I think, Arizona and Oregon to put them – um, already in that conversation as mm-hmm. as top uh, you know four seeds um, mm-hmm. more so Oregon than Arizona but but Arizona's backcourt I, I love Oregon I I fell in love with Oregon in that Memphis game well they they controlled it from from tip to finish the the only point in the game where they struggled was from the moment Chris Duarte uh, left with his injury in the first mm-hmm. half until Anthony Mathis decided he was just going to shoot. And, and then from that point forward, they controlled it again. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and I, I don't want to say I called it, but Oscar De Silva has taken that step back into where we thought he was going to be offensively last year. Um, hasn't been taking as many three or hasn't been as successful from three, but he's been finding ways to score inside, uh, been decent on defense and, and 
you know, it's given Dejon Davis and Tyrell Terry the ability to kind of play off each other at the point guard position. Um, so I, I like this conference. I am uh, definitely concerned uh, moving forward. They've got some bigger matchups, you know, Oregon plays Seton Hall and then possibly Gonzaga if they win that and then possibly a Michigan or, or a UNC if they win that game. So uh, Oregon will be tested big time uh, next week. And Yeah, um, battle for Atlantis is going to be fun. Go ahead and mark your calendars. Make sure you're on the couch. Watch, like, all of those games. <laughs> it's, it is, I think it's by, by far the best Thanksgiving tournament one hundred percent. You got you got seven. If you want to include Iowa State in there, you have seven teams that have legitimate, at large aspirations. Oh, for sure. I, I just I just find it funny that the Gonzaga has been in arguably the best Thanksgiving uh, event for each of the past three years because they were at the Phil Knight Invitational in Portland. Well, Gonzaga clearly makes the event, obviously, right? <laughs> but they were at the PK-80, then the Maui last year, and, and then mm-hmm. the Bahamas this year. And I think it's going to be fun. I don't. I think they lose in the second round. Um, mm-hmm. their, their best shot of winning the second round is if Oregon and Seton Hall kind of slug it out and just beat each other up to the point where Gonzaga's win over Southern Miss will grant them the ability to be a little bit less fatigued. Yeah. Um, that Oregon Seton Hall game might be better than whatever championship game is in that tournament. Oh, for sure. Because you get you get Miles Powell going off like he did against Michigan State. Sorry to get off on a tangent here, but you get Miles Powell going off like he did against Michigan State and Oregon playing like they're capable of. I mean, that's as high level of a matchup, I think, as you can get at this point in the season. Yeah, and, and both teams are playing at or above expectations, yeah. which I think is big because you, there are a lot of teams. I think there are probably more teams in the top 25 that are either A, playing at or above expectations, or B, as is the case with Texas Tech and Gonzaga and Maryland, just haven't played anyone. Oh, no. um, yeah. That Seton Hall and Oregon – and I would throw Ohio State there, are the three teams that have really kind of clicked and found it early. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll shift the Big East with Seton Hall because that conference has been a little disappointing. Um, despite the loss of Michigan State, you can say Seton Hall is probably the clear top team right now. I, I know Villanova only has the one loss to Ohio State, but it was ugly, that loss was. And I know they didn't have Brian Antoine in that game and and they'll get him back. And I I still have high hopes for what Villanova can be this year, Uh, but Georgetown hasn't looked good. Providence hasn't looked good. Uh, DePaul's looked surprisingly good, but you know, there, there are only really, I would say three teams right now. Well, I guess you can put four, four teams right now where you look at their schedule, you look at the way they've played and their fans should be happy. Mm -hmm. DePaul, Seton Hall, Butler, and I would throw Xavier in there just because they haven't lost, but they haven't looked fantastic. Oh, it's been it's been <laughs> rough. For, it's been a little iffy. I, I left them out of my top twenty-five. I had a lot of Xavier fans in my mentions. 
coming at me for not having them in because they're undefeated. But they are – they could very easily be one in three right now. Yeah. You know, it's just – I think that's a metaphor for how a lot of the Big East has gone, especially in the middle tier. Georgetown's another team that could very easily have zero wins right mm-hmm. now. All of their games have been close against lesser competition. Um, Marquette hasn't looked. I, I know they beat Purdue, but they looked rough in that game too. It's just been a, a, a very disappointing first couple weeks for them. Well, it was it was a very exciting first week, and this week, they they just lost. I mean, there's no way to to get around it. They just lost. So. Yeah, and I think the depth of the conference is still there, but I think we need we may need to reevaluate how good that middle tier is because we kind of had them on like on the on the fringe top twenty five. Right with with Marquette and Xavier and those kind of teams, uh, but they may be a little bit further down the pecking order. Yeah, for me, I think Seton Hall is clearly a top twenty-five team. Yeah, um, Villanova, they're still a top twenty-five team, but I would put them in that tier of like you get past eighteen and then you just don't know who to throw in there. Yeah, you're throwing darts. Right. Uh, but outside of that, there's not a team that I've looked at and said that is a top 25 team. I mean, yeah. I would I would argue that Butler has a better argument for the top 25 than pretty much anyone except for Seton Hall. Yeah, well, Lucas, um, our expert at busting one of the co-experts at busting brackets, put him at 25 in his poll. I mean, they, they just haven't wrong. Yeah, I mean, they haven't really struggled. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I just if the Big East hasn't looked great, um, I would say that the t- the conference I was lowest on heading into the season, because uh, even lower than the Big Ten, which is the Big Twelve, mm-hmm. has looked decent. They've looked fine. Um, the ACC has also looked bad. Yeah, I mean. I mean- I would make the argument, and and correct me if I'm if I'm overreacting, but this has been perhaps the the messiest that college basketball as a whole has looked in a long time. This early in the season, I completely agree. Completely agree. I, everything about this year sets up for a lot of low seeds making the final four yeah. a lot of, like this is a kind of a shabazz napier yukon year where there's this seven seed that has a miles pal on it and they get hot and win the championship or you know south carolina has a seven seed plays really good defense and just enough offense and gets to the final four or you know butler makes a championship game because they get, play well together yeah. You're going to see a lot of teams like that. I think it, it bodes well for the experienced quality mid-majors uh, making a run. It, it's just going to be one of those years where it's absolute chaos from start to finish. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and, and like you said about the ACC, there's, for me at least, there's there's really three, there's four teams, I guess, that are playing well um, early on. Louisville, Louisville, North Carolina, 
Duke is looking good. I still have my reservations about Virginia, and, and I, mean, I know, I do too. and I know I Virginia do. fans um, have been on people because they they feel disrespected because I just don't think we've seen enough offensively out of Virginia for me to say, okay, yeah, they're better than a Gonzaga or they're better than a Seton Hall or they're better than an Ohio State. I agree. And I will say that their defense is every bit as good as you can talk it up to be. I mean, that it's extremely elite again. And in a year where there is so much chaos, having one thing you can rely on and be truly elite at is going to carry you a lot further than it would in years past. But you also have to be able to score. And at the win over Vermont, I think, showed they can do that a little bit. But I'm still not sold they can do so at an efficient enough clip to beat the caliber of teams they're going to need to beat at the top of the ACC. Like, I still have them in that 4-5 range at the conference. Yeah, I just don't think that they're efficient enough on offense. And no. I know There's that... No guy, no Ty Jerome, no John Hunter. Hunter that's going to be able to bail you out and kind of create their own offense. Right. And, and I know that uh, Tony Bennett teams in the past have kind of had these players develop over the course of the season and step up when it comes to the end of the ACC play. Um, but then it always seems to, when you don't have those guys offensively, it, it catches up to you. They're going to be really, really good next year. Right. When those guys develop and become really potent offensive players, Casey Morcel in particular is a guy I'm watching. But this year's just uh, you know, they'll be good, but it's another I think sort of rebuilding, reloading kind of year. Right. I mean, you can't. You just can't trust a team that shoots below forty percent from the field floor. No. And the win, the win against uh, Vermont, did more to prove that they were legit to me than any of their three previous wins. I agree. But I think I'm not really going to declare them a team that can compete until I can see them play against Purdue and UNC. Maybe not even Purdue, because Purdue's struggling to score. Until I see them play against UNC uh, at the beginning of December. And they don't even have to win that game, um, but they're going to have to prove that they can kind of stay there with, with the Tar Heels. Yeah, and uh, the good news for them, though, is I think the ACC as a whole, outside of really the top six, um, is bad, is is really bad. Yeah. We have the top three, UNC, Louisville, Duke, Virginia in there for, I think you can put NC State and Florida State in that range of not great, but you know who they are and you know they're solid kind of teams. A- after them, though, um, and maybe Wake Forest and last <laughs> – those middle seven through 14, you can kind of flip a coin. Uh, who knows how good Pitt is? Who knows how good Georgia Tech is? Who knows how good Miami is? I don't think Syracuse is that good. Um, Virginia Tech maybe has been the most surprising in a good way of all of those teams, but I don't trust the talent on that team. It, it's a, a weird year for the ACC where there's definitely, definitely no depth in that. No. I don't think there's depth in, in most conferences. Um, yeah. I think, for for me, this opens up more 
at-large bids for the mid-majors than I thought there were previously. Uh, mm-hmm. But no mid-majors really stepping up. I would make the argument that BYU has done more to step up than St. Mary's uh, so far yes. this season. And once they get your... I, honestly, I'd be willing to say now that if I were to to predict the rankings in the WCC, assuming that Childs comes back fully healthy, I think that BYU finishes second behind Gonzaga. Oh. I just... St. Mary's has three players that can score. And Tommy Cusey, who can go off, right, when no one's, when no one's focused mm-hmm. on him, but put him in the starting role uh, instead of Logan Johnson, and he's probably more of the same that, that he was last year. Um, it, it, you really have Ford, Fitz, and, uh, and, and Krebs that, that can score for, for St. Mary's. So, I mean, and, and Krebs is also a, uh, an if, if he can score, uh-huh. if he gets his shots. Um, so, I don't know. I've been I've been underwhelmed by Zorix and Aaron Menzies, uh, mm-hmm. and I thought that they were going to play a big role. And I've been underwhelmed by by Johnson, to be frankly honest. I mean, he hasn't been able to score. Uh, they they've definitely been one of the season's biggest disappointments so, so far. So far, and when you play in the West Coast Conference, you're not going to get many opportunities to prove yourself otherwise if you disappoint in a non-conference uh we saw that a couple years ago with them when they had a couple bad non-conference losses only lost like five or six games during the regular season but were still left out of the tournament um they got to kind of get this turned around pretty quickly get a win over gonzaga get a win over byu um and hope they at least make the the conference tournament finals i think yeah I think that uh, BYU has uh, more opportunities to get mm-hmm. that at-large bid. They already have a marquee win at Houston. And I know it's not the best win, but they play at Boise State versus UCLA at Utah against Nevada, against Utah State, and and have a lot of opportunities to pick up marquee wins. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and look ahead to the week we have coming up because there are some uh, bigger games on tap. We're getting some of the holiday tournaments started um, this weekend. Obviously, most of them will be feast week, uh, following week of Thanksgiving. But we've got a couple good ones. The GK Empire Classic, uh, Connor, is one that I'm really looking forward to. Um, got Duke and Cal playing in the nightcap on Thursday. But Texas and Georgetown uh, that Thursday at 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN2. It's a really interesting one for me, again, from just a measuring stick game. We talked about Georgetown. They haven't been great, uh, but are still sitting there at 3-1, and Texas is a very beatable top 25 team. Um, and if you're Texas, this is another game, kind of like the Purdue game was, to prove that you belong in the top 25 and provide Shock Smart with a bit more job security. Yeah, this is a year where Shock Smart has to win these games. Um, you're playing against a struggling Georgetown team. You have a lot of people that are jumping on the bandwagon. You, you can't lose. You, you can lose to Duke, but you can't lose to Georgetown in this tournament. I just, I just don't see how, unless he makes 
the NCAA tournament and and wins a couple of games, uh, this will be this could be pointed to as one of those games where he should have won, but he just didn't get it done as a coach. Yeah, uh, we got another measuring stick game on Friday, the Jamaica Classic, very tropical, uh, with LSU and Utah State going up against each other. Uh, Utah State's in the top fifteen, so their first real test of the season uh, in LSU. LSU wants to right the ship after losing to VCU, falling out of the top 25. Um, another game I see as fairly even. Uh, Going to be a lot of fun to watch Friday night. Yeah, and I'd probably – I hate to say I want to give the edge to uh, LSU. But I do. I, but from I a, just – balance and depth standpoint. Yeah, I, 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 I just think they, they have too games. much. And – I think it's becoming clear that the two best uh, mid-major teams in the country are Gonzaga and VCU. And I think this is a game that Utah State has to win to remain in that conversation as Mm -hmm. the third mid-major team that has a legitimate shot at getting a a pretty high seed and and doing some damage uh, throughout the season. But there's just something about this this Utah State team that I don't like, and it has to do with with their lack of depth, and not only their lack of depth, but their lack of depth of con- contribution. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it'll be a blowout by any means, but I think that it'll be a pretty close game until the end, and fatigue will just hit. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, outside of outside of Sam Merrill. Um, with Kata being hurt, who are you going to if you're Utah State? And with your uh, a team that's as athletic and long um, and as solid defensively as LSU is, they're going to make somebody else beat them. I don't think Utah State has that ability. But what 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 games are you looking for this week other than those two? Those are my two kind of big ones. Uh, what about you? Uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Oregon against Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it'll be a It'll be a nice test for both teams. I think it'll be a test for Oregon to say, can you beat an experienced team or, or a team with exper- more experienced players than Memphis um, just as handily? And I think it'll, it'll give Houston an opportunity to show that, yes, we lost to BYU at the end of the game, um, but that was only our second game, and we have more games under our belt now. Mm-hmm. we can compete. I think Oregon is probably the the pretty decent favorite to win that game, but I think it's a it's a good game to watch if you care more about how it's played than what the final score is. Yeah, and I think uh, this week the games are going to be more about that than who wins. I think next week uh, during Feast Week and we get the Battle for Atlantis and Maui and, and all those uh, bigger tournaments that some of the more high-profile teams are playing in, those games are going to be more about results and who wins. Uh, this week is more, in, I think, intriguing under the radar matchups about who could potentially break through. There's a lot of those measuring sick games that I'm looking forward to. Right. Uh, I think another game that's going to be a, a bit of a measuring stick game is Ole Miss-Memphis. Yeah. Memphis without James Wiseman, we assume. Yes. We'll, and, we'll find out how good Memphis's Memphis's depth actually is. Right, and, and I think that's important because 
when it comes to players like Wiseman, uh, Yudoko Azabuki, and the like, um, you, you kind of want your team to be deep around them because there's only so much they can do. Uh, and as has happened for both players against top talent, they are going to struggle with fouls. Oh, yeah. Because teams are going to just throw bodies at them. Yeah. So um, I think it'll, it'll be a good opportunity for Ole Miss to, to show who they really are, and it'll mm-hmm. be a good opportunity for Memphis to kind of reestablish itself and calm some of the, the skepticism uh, that came out of that Oregon game. 100%. Um, I'm looking forward to this week's games. Uh, normally we end these with a bold prediction, Connor. Uh, I don't know if you have one for this week, but I, I, my bold prediction might be that uh, I don't have much conviction in this, but I'm going to go with a Duke loses one of those games at the Duke Empire Classic. I think they'll beat Cal, but lose to whoever wins the Texas Georgetown game simply because they're number one and number one has to lose every week. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a, not a good season to be number one. <laughs> No. Um, ooh, bull predictions. It's tough. It, it's, it's tough, it's tough because I'm I'm looking through a lot of these top twenty five matchups, and outside not, of not a ton, not a ton. Um, so maybe maybe not the Duke loses, but. I'm willing to uh, argue that New Mexico, New Mexico, it will remain undefeated at this time next year, week. So they'll beat. I think they're beating UTEP right now. Uh, no, they're losing to UTEP. Well, <laughs> it would suck if the prediction was wrong before the podcast right. got posted. <laughs> right, but. <laughs> The reason I say this, I think New Mexico beats Auburn. I will second that. I will um, second that. I, they have the athleticism to match up with Auburn, uh, and I think may have more skill. Right. And, and the only reason I said undefeated was, first of all, I'm going to caveat this. UTEP looks really good. but I was going to say, they're <laughs> under the radar, kind of like sneaky good this year. But but I, I wasn't really paying attention to that game right now. But they also play New Mexico State, and I think New Mexico State's struggling with their own health issues. So it can't be that they're bad because we know New Mexico State's always good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, well, the whole whack is bad this year. The whole whack is whack. W- worse than usual. So I'm a, da- I'm a dad. I can make that joke now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I th- I think that. We're going to see uh, New Mexico kind of not not expose Auburn because I still think I'll say, expo- I'll say expose Auburn. You, you'll say expose Auburn? I'll say expose Auburn. Um, I just think I, Jaquan Lyle is a scoring machine this season. And, and you throw in, you know, Carlton Bragg as a pretty much automatic double-double. Uh, and there's a lot to like. I mean, you, you have to go deep into their into their kind of scoring and, and contribution levels to find their Vance Jackson and, and J.J. Caldwell, which are two players that 
on pretty much any other mid-major team would be automatic starters and probably top three players. So <laughs> They have some high-major talent. Um, I'll be curious to see if they're able to deliver. Because that, that's been the problem with them the past couple of years is they've had talent but just kind of fallen flat. Uh, right. I think Auburn will be a good test for them specifically, even if they don't win, to just put up a fight and right. keep it close. But, yeah, that's my bold prediction. I think New Mexico beats Auburn. Okay. Well, we'll check back next week to see if they're undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, make sure you tune in next week where we recap these games, look ahead to all the Feast League tournaments, Battle for Atlantis, Mount Invitational, plenty others. It's going to be a lot of high-profile matchups and a lot of fun. So for Connor Hope, I'm Brian Ralph. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you.